Today on the Triple Double Podcast, we welcome Instagram graphic designer Mikey Heller. His Instagram handle, srelics, is on the rise on social media, attracting the attention of celebrities and the basketball world. We also discuss the NBA's involvement in the protests, give our opinions on the beginning of the NBA season, and give our rating and opinions on the ESPN Plus documentary, Requiem for the Big East. Get in touch with the show through social media, through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us on triple double podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Yes, welcome to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, Justin. Good to be with you another week. How are you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, beautiful day. Can't complain. We're in summertime. The uh, NBA has been confirmed to come back, so I got no complaints. Yeah, same here. Looking forward to more NBA action coming up, and uh, it's, it's going to be a good way to kind of get through more of the summer. Right off the front, um, before we get into the topics, um, just want to mention it. Um, it would help us a lot if you can leave us a review on iTunes. Just give your opinions, feedback on how the show is doing. And of course, as you said in the intro, um, email us at triple double podcast at gmail.com with your questions, positive or negative feedback. So, man, let's hop into it and discuss kind of the finishing touches of the opening of the NBA season. We re- Went over the format last week. Um, there's just a little bit of kind of housekeeping things that the NBA is trying to work on, such as the overall playoff format. Um, they claim to have like a play-in game, which is not really a play-in game. Um, I have questions regarding the safety measures in regards to what Adam Silver discussed on, on Inside the NBA regarding older coaches not being able to coach. Um, so, man, what's your overall feel of the NBA opening up after a week of the news being um, – let out to the masses. I mean, overall, there's, I mean, I'll say off the top, there's going to be confusion no matter what happens here. Uh, they still haven't clarified many things like processes that you and I have been talking about, like what happens if a player or multiple players test positive for COVID, uh, because with everyone isolated in that area, it's going to spread like a wildfire if, if they don't catch this quickly does seem like they are going to be testing every player every night to try and mitigate that. But I imagine we'll get more news as we get closer and closer to that, I believe, J- July 31st start date. Um, so I expect some of these things to be clarified. So I, d- I don't want to really jump down the NBA's throat as far as that goes. But I do think there's going to be a lot of confusion over the next couple of weeks, seeing how this is all going to work out. What are your takeaways from this? Um, I have to say I'm a little disappointed in the format. Um, I think this would be a perfect opportunity to take some chances, experiment, just play with the rules in terms of how teams get in or get out. It's the perfect timing, in my opinion. I But I understand where Commissioner Silver is coming from. You have TV contracts, you know, collective bargaining agreements, what where the players say. It's hard. So I think overall, I've heard of the podcast, talked about it. It's the best solution for now, it's just kind of a weird situation anyway, so I'm good with it. I think I echo your sentiment regarding COVID. Like, if a player gets it, does, is the team forfeited? Is it over for them? I mean, if LeBron James somehow gets COVID, is our Lakers gone? Can Or, or is, is LeBron, you know, suspended through the rest of the season? How is that going to work? So I'm curious to see those type of scenarios. I would say 
on a campus and keeping everybody isolated, but yet giving them the freedom to at least, you know, be a human being until October. I would say that the chances of them getting COVID are next to none, just based on if they have the safety protocol set in place. Uh, where it gets nuts is if they're letting them go out into the world um, and leave the facility in and out. That's when you're going to have issues. But if they're going to stay there, which that was my impression, I my impression was they weren't able to leave while the season's going on. Um that's I think correct. that's going to minimize. Yeah, then I think that's going to minimize anybody testing positive for for COVID. So I'm just wondering about those circumstances specifically. But I'm excited. I'm excited to get the season back up. Um, I've heard some insane ideas about, you know, a team that normally would get home court advantage, since home court would be basically erased. You know, with there's been different ideas of flying the home court's gym. Excuse me, flying the home court's court. Um, on to into Orlando to have that home court there, <laughs> um, piping in sound from NBA 2K20. Um, I mean, I, so I think there's some interesting ideas being floated around, so I'd like to see those being played with. Um, I'm also curious about how the, the TV contracts are going to work in terms of who's going to get the NBA Finals. Is it still going to be ABC? Is it still going to be TNT getting like the Western Conference games? Who's going to do commentary? Like from a media standpoint, I'm nerdy about that type of stuff. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work. If these guys, the commentators, are going to be able to fly into Orlando, stay there. Um because a lot of the commentators, they do other things too. They're not just commentating on the NBA. They do NFL broadcasts also. So how all this is going to work is really on a new frontier. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, based on the urging, we saw a lot of um, from Michael Jordan, actually, was was kind of urging staying with as traditional a format as possible. So that may have been where some of the pushback on trying out these more experimental tournaments came from. Um, So I think they're going to try and stay as close to the book as possible, given that there is radical change with we know not every team will end the season with the same amount of games played so playoff seedings are going to be determined by win percentage which could give and i i haven't nerded out and gone through the schedules or anything like that but could give certainly certain teams advantages over others so it's going to be really weird to see uh i i'll tell you right off the bat i'm not a big fan of pumping in crowd noise uh, <laughs> as much of a fan of the 2K games as I am, um, I just think that seems really weird. Maybe get like a, a DJ instead, play more music during the game. I, I don't know. Um, but I think most things like what you're mentioning, the TV contracts, the broadcasting, I think if, it would make sense that they try to stay as close to as normal as possible. Um, I, I want to ask you another con- uh, question. Excuse me. Uh, I have countries on my mind. But uh, a question just regarding, I guess, how this season is going to be perceived when it's over. Are you going to have an asterisk on your mind of the NBA champion? Or are you going to count this as, you know, whoever wins it is the rightful champion? Because I've heard it from journalists from Jackie McMulling saying that, hey, if you win the title in this environment, that's a lot of props. I mean, the unpredictability, the climate that they're in, I mean, that should, you know, be as equal or as more in some cases in terms of a regular NBA title. Others I'm saying is that the circumstances are so different. It totally can, this season's a wash, basically. So, I guess as best you can, it may be an unfair question, but in your mind, are you going to consider the the champion, whoever wins the title, like a rightful champion for this season? 
Well, look, I, I think it, it only makes sense for me to stay consistent. Like I consider the 99 Spurs NBA champions. I consider the 2013, I believe Miami heat champions. So I, I will consider personally for myself, I will consider whoever wins this, the NBA champions. It's, it's the same rosters. Essentially you may be allowed more roster spots, but I don't think you're going to be letting in more impact players. Really. It's, it's just extra roster spots in case someone uh, goes down with COVID. So I, I don't think we have a radical transformation in terms of the rosters, but I, I understand the sentiment because of how different the schedule is and how we've had these months of rest now between games, it does almost feel like the start of a new season rather than a continuation in many ways. But my mentality, and maybe it's not popular this day and age, but you know, you just have to play the games that are in front of you. And I'm not going to insult a team for doing that or, or degrade them for doing that. They're doing all they can. Uh, and I get that it's a, the strangest season we've ever had. Um, but it is what it is. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Am I a little too old school or (laughs) out there with my take? No, I feel you, you know, how with, I guess any sport, but you know, specifically the NBA, especially if we get like the Houston Rockets or I would say even the Lakers or a team that's in playoff contention, but they're not a popular team. So I would use like the Denver Nuggets, some like some kind of out of the box team that catches fire and wins it. I think they're going to be knocked a lot for winning the title, which is unfortunate. Um, I'm right mm. there with you. These are not the team's fault. Um, this is out of their control. They're playing in a circumstance, and they rightfully deserve to be the NBA champion. So I'm not going to hold an asterisk towards them, but it's it's a totally easy thing. You know how fans are. They want to hold any get a little nitpick against something if it's out of the norm. So I certainly think in a lot of eyes, this is going to have an asterisk on it, unfortunately, even though I feel well, you, Matt. In my mind, I I personally don't. I think whoever wins it will be the rightful champion, but I can just see – especially if they don't allow coaches on the sideline, just some other, you know, rule changes. It, it, it may be suiting for another team to take advantage of that. And if they're the champions, I can see a lot of outrage. Yeah. And let's be honest. It also depends a lot on who wins the title. Like I think <laughs> if the Bucks win the title, people are going to be ringing in Giannis as, as the new NBA MVP and everything. Sure. And I think let's just be honest. If the Lakers win the title, the LeBron haters are going to come out combined with the Laker haters, which there are a lot of, and they're going to say, you know, that there should be an asterisk on that title. I mean, especially Celtics fans who, who are in direct competition with them for the most NBA titles won. So I can see those narratives and I'm calling it right away because I do think it's probably most likely that we have a Bucks Lakers title game with how this is, set up or a final series rather uh, just because they have such an advantage in their lead. Uh, So for myself, you know, I'll put it on record right now that I'm not going to criticize those, either of those teams, if they win the title. And furthermore, I'm not going to criticize any team that wins the title under these circumstances. It's still going to take an incredible amount of skill and it's just going to feel in some ways, I guess, maybe more like college ball where we kind of talk about, you know, the team that gets hot for March Madness ends up winning the title. It's not always the top number one seed. 
so I think the NBA is going to have a little bit of that kind of a feel with this separate Orlando set of games and then NBA uh, playoffs. Yeah, I feel you. Um, it's going to be more of a tournament format um, in terms of kind of a March Madness feel. I feel I agree with you. One thing I do not like is the seven games for each round of the playoffs. I, I hate that. I, I get it. It's a television contract thing. I, I understand it. But I just think we're just extending this season for no reason, especially in these circumstances. I just feel like first two rounds, five games, you know, Eastern Conference finals um, in the NBA finals, seven games. Um, just trying to extend it. I just, especially where there's teams that they're going to be out of shape and they're, they're, they're trying to get the swing of things. I mean, that's a relatively quick turnout to hop into the playoffs. Um, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of that, but you know, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for the NBA to come back, so I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah, I totally agree with your sentiments there. I mean, I think we could say the same thing maybe about the NBA having an uneven amount of teams in both conferences. Sure. Like if you're not going to do a, a grand tournament mixing conferences rather than, um, you know, having the same tournament brackets, essentially, but you have 13 on the West, obviously 13 teams and nine on the East. I mean, let's be honest, there's there's really no point in the Phoenix Suns coming to Orlando um, you know, You're hurting there, our friend just, Josh's feelings. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Josh. My my buddy Josh, don't don't hate on me for this. But there's there's really if you look at what they would have to do to make the playoffs and the teams that are stacked in front of them, there's really no point in them coming to Orlando. If you know safety, I, I think so. So I guess I'm saying what I would have done is see statistically which conference has the least amount of teams that have. So, so the East has nine teams that could make it to the top eight. Let's go ahead and cut off top nine on the West to make it even and then do that. But again, we know that's not going to happen. It is what it is. It's, it's flawed. It's going to be flawed no matter what they do. But I'm with you overall in that I'm very optimistic and happy that the NBA is coming back. So it's going to be great to see some basketball. And it's going to give us a lot to talk about in the next coming weeks with figuring out how this is going to lay out as we get more and more details. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, was there any other thoughts you wanted to state on the return of the NBA or should we uh, move on? No, let's, let's move on. Okay. So just real quickly, um, we talked about it last week, but as everybody knows, there are nations going through a, a change in terms of how we view racism. Um, yesterday, uh, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell pretty much went in about face and basically apologizing for their sports action, their league's action, excuse me, against um, kneeling towards the national anthem. It remains to be seen if um, further action will be taken upon that. But I, what I wanted to touch on is from an NBA perspective, we've seen more NBA players continue to protest. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, of course, Stephen Jackson, Malcolm Brogdon, CJ Lillard. Yep. Damian Lillard, yep. Um, just a bunch of athletes really express um, their thoughts on what's going on. I know the um, Jordan brand and Michael Jordan himself is going to donate $100 million over 10 years to um, different organizations um, dedicated to fight racism in America. So I think the NBA has always been on the cutting edge of these issues as well. 
I'm interested to see what further action they're going to take in particular, what further action we're going to see in terms of protests during these games. So I'm, I'm definitely interested because as a league, it, with Adam Silver, he works with the players. They It's a working relationship. And with the players, they're a united front. If they have a cause, they are band together. They are a cohesive unit, um, especially now. It's rare to see dissenting opinions on kind of political issues when it comes to NBA players. So I'm always that's one of the reasons why I've always liked the NBA. I think in this era better than when I was growing up, it just seems like all 32 teams, all their players are really um, unified to fight social injustice or racial injustice whenever it appears. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I, I think it's been, to say the least, I mean, an, an interesting two weeks to watch. Um, it was interesting seeing how the NFL players or the NFL um, social media team, I think as well, came out and made a statement, um, basically apologizing. And then I think that may have been, <laughs> many are saying on Twitter, of course, you can't believe everything you see on Twitter. Uh, but many are saying that's what urged Roger Goodell to then then come out and, and make the statements he made. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll just ask your view. Do you feel like there is progress being made from from what we're seeing? Um, so I, I'll just correct myself. There are 30 NBA teams, just in case anybody wants to go after me. Um, <laughs> but to answer your question, Matt, um, it remains to be seen. I think this is going to turn into an NFL discussion. I think the NBA is good, and then the WNBA is is fine in that matter. I've seen them protest, do stuff to fight any injustice, and that goes to Donald Sterling as well. So I think from an NBA perspective, I have no issue with them. The NFL I've, have, I've taken issue with and not really getting into it. We'll see what happens in terms of – you know, ultimately the end game is giving Colin Kaepernick a job, right? In terms of letting him try out for his teams and get a fair trial and see what happens. And going from there, because the issue has always been, and in Drew Brees, this is his mistake, um, is not really understanding why Colin Kaepernick was protesting. They didn't want to hear his reasons. It was just he's disrespecting the flag. We don't care what you have to say. And getting wrapped up in nationalism, not patriotism in my humble opinion, and not really hearing it. And I think with Max Kellerman said this, which I think he's somewhat right about this, four years ago, the nation relatively wasn't the, I think the cloak of racism was a lot more hidden than it is now. Um, and Drew Brees saying what he was saying, he got a lot of backlash for it. And I think with Drew Brees, his comments should be condemned, but not the man. Drew Brees is not a racist. Drew Brees is not a horrible person. Drew Brees is, I believe, a great person. He's done a lot for Katrina, a lot for Louisiana. He was Sportsman of the Year in 2010. This is a guy who cares deeply about his community, but he's ignorant and he's wrong about this issue. And I think we've seen him taking about face in terms of what he's done on social media. I'm not trying to get too political here, but sure, this is this is kind of what it's about in terms of trying to educate people that it might be not listening to this issue rather than just condemning them and labeling them as racist. If you're going to do that, they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to be open to what you have to say. It's to condemn their comments and to educate and to really, um, 
I guess, free the minds of people that are blind to this racism issue because it clearly exists. It's obvious it happens every day. Um, I think from a Colin Kaepernick issue, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but from a, <laughs> Kaepernick, fine, from a Kaepernick issue, um, I've talked to my brother about this. I've had issues with him personally not being vocal in terms of what's happening now. I feel like I agree with him 100% for kneeling. I understand why he's lost his job, but this is where we need vocal leaders in the community and seeing like, you know, rappers killer Mike T.I. Um, seeing, of course, Stephen Jackson. We've seen Steph Curry, like all these people march. Um, hell, even Kanye West was out there um, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, not seeing Colin Kaepernick, you know, actively protesting. I realize he's giving money to those who have been jailed that are peacefully protesting and those who need a lawyer. He's donated huge money to that. And that is fantastic. That is wonderful. But we also need his voice. He is arguably, I think, in terms of a voice, one of the biggest, you know, influencers of, of civil change in this country. Um, and not to hear him speak on this is concerning to me. And just to see him just tweet his you know activism be, through social media only is not good enough i think we need to see him on more a visual platform whether it's the news youtube something um we need to see him further out there but so that that's just my soapbox overall um because i honestly i've seen lebron be a hell of a lot more aggressive in terms of he called out drew Brees immediately and just him you know with him his protests on social media just with him in terms of being very vocal you know, that the interview that he caught some slack on from Laura Ingram, him and Kevin Durant, he was the one that, you know, he involved in that interview with Kevin Durant calling the president a bum. Um, I think that's what we need more vocal leaders and not people somewhat operating behind the scenes. We need both. It's it's all hands on deck. There's just it's not a time to be shy or just to just hide through social media. So anyways, I did that's how I feel. The answer to your question, I think progress is being made. Um, the NBA, I've been proud of that organization, particularly with Adam Silver being at the helm. I'm not concerned about them. I think inside the NBA on TNT this past Thursday did a fantastic one-hour special on what's going on. They're always on point with their opinions, even if you disagree with them. So as the NBA, I'm not concerned about. The NFL is, I think, light years behind, but they're making progress, so we'll see what happens. So let me ask you this in regards sure. to the NBA, because yeah. I've seen this idea floated. Sure. Um, and I just wanted your perspective on it. Um, so I have seen the idea floated, um, again, primarily on Twitter. And, and again, I'm going to put that disclaimer that you can't trust everything you read on Twitter. And you That's can't true. trust that everything is well-intentioned on there. Uh, but I have heard people make the call for the NBA to just entirely protest uh, like the players specifically, entirely protest uh, coming back to the league. It's something that, in my opinion, if players want to come back and play basketball, I certainly would not fault them for that, essentially returning to work for them. Um, but is do you have any thoughts as to whether you'd like a movement like that to contribute to the movement that we see happening with the protests? Do you think that is not necessary? Do you have any thoughts along those lines? I guess a clarification. So it's protests in coming back to play basketball against in terms of a safety concerns or because of what's the civil unrest due to the civil unrest to kind of pair with that movement and say we are not going to play NBA basketball for America as a whole until we 
go after some of these issues. And, and again, I don't know exactly what the, um, I guess, qualifications would be as, as far as, you know, the demands being asked and everything. But um, what would your thoughts be for protests like that? So I think that's pretty on the extreme side, just because the NBA is so progressive. So you have to have oppression of a organization to do that, right? Like the NFL, like they were, you know, condemning and pretty much suppressing the the peaceful protests of kneeling. So I think the NFL would have more of that a mechanism than the NBA would. Um, and also with racism, this is going to be a hundred years fight. Since I'm, we're going to be long dead and this is still going to be an issue, um, unfortunately. So I think for the NBA players, any actionable items. I think just protesting and saying we're not going to play until racism is eradicated, I think there needs to be action items for the league. Um, I think a good example is what we've seen from the the inside crew. Like They're talking about these issues on a regular basis. I mean, not only about racial injustice, but about the China situation. Um, just about anything that happens in our society, they always talk about it in a free and um, constructive way where – I think that platform should be carried to other broadcasts, so not only TNT, but also ESPN. And they have the figures to do it, but I think they struggle with that. So I would like to see that transfer to ESPN as well. I think also, you know, donating money, maybe just having a update on, you know, what the NBA is doing on in terms of, you know, racial injustice in particular. Like, so, what you know, what we've seen when we're growing up, Matt, or even now where the NBA cares, right? You remember seeing that where mm-hmm. it's like the third quarter, you know, you'll see Michael Jordan or, you know, Carl Malone, hypothetical, you know, building a house, something like that. So I think there might be an, another segment which should be like, okay, NBA fights for racial injustice, here's what the league's done this week, this, 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 and this, or here's an update, you know, here's somebody donating this much money, something um, to keep us updated and hold them accountable. Um, I think that'd be a lot more effective as opposed to just having a protest and not having really any actionable items come from that. Yeah, I I think that's well said, man. And I I think, um, you know, I I hope I'm not wearing two rose colored glasses, but, but I do think the vast majority of Americans um, are are very anti-racist. Um, I, I would hope I could include myself among those numbers, certainly. Um, and I think a lot of people would like to see uh, what you described there, like action items and like how, how do we continue the momentum of these protests and make society better as a whole? Because I think that's what anyone who wants to, to belong in society should, should want. We all have different life experiences, of course. We all um, experience different things and, and different levels in, in all walks of life. And I think I, I'd really like to continue having open discussions like the way that um, NBA on TNT has been able to do and figure out these solutions as a community and, and work towards inclusion um for for those that aren't you know radical and and hateful of course yeah i agree and not and also to find constructive ways to fight the problem as opposed to i would say acting with you know just in a ways of not being constructive right because just being angry and mad is not it's not enough like you need to be action behind it 
So, and I, and I have faith in the league. Um, I mean, we've seen all all these guys protest because they're passionate about this issue. I'm not concerned. They're already on on point, so I have little worry that their concerns about racial injustice is not going to be heard. It's just so interwoven into the league. I mean, very much I would say, what, 95% of the league is black. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interwoven into not only the league now, but in the history of the league. It's basketball. So it, it's, it's going to be a mechanism in terms of what's happening. So I think I even heard um, – there's Dominic Foxworth on uh, ESPN saying in terms of the NFL, like if the NFL is serious about fighting racial injustice, then they need to be serious about using its weapons. So that's, that would be the pro bowl, the super bowl, it's games to send a message saying if there's racial injustice, we're not having these games here. And that goes for the NBA too. What we saw mm-hmm. with them pulling the all-star game out of Charlotte uh, some few years ago, like if they see, you know, if the all-star games in Minneapolis, you know, there's, you know, Coming up in a few years, like there's not going to be an all-star game until this is fixed, until we, you know, the, the city, I understand, you know, you might be punishing fans there, but overall, in terms of that city being prosperous by the economic impact an all-star game is going to have, they don't deserve that until their um, policing's fixed in a, in a strong track record. That's how, that's how you get, you know, cities and communities to change because that's money. That's how you hurt them. So we'll see. We'll see yeah, what happens, I, but I'm, I'm optimistic. And I would say also, I, I'd really, and this kind of goes to larger society as a whole, but sure. I'd kind of like to just move towards more open conversation. Like, I, I think um, it I think it does very little for, like, cancel culture to take over, so to speak. Sure. Um, like, I think if, let, let's take the example of Drew Brees, who I think Absolutely. you and I both agree seems like a good person overall. I mean, we don't know him on a deeply personal level. But I do think if he had maybe had the opportunity to go on, you know, whatever, Instagram Live or or Periscope on Twitter or whatever, and have some discussion, like clearly he sidestepped the question he was asked and started going on what the American flag means to him, which really wasn't the question that he was asked. And I, I think to have and allow this opportunity to for conversation a little bit more like where are you coming from? Here's where we're coming from. This is why that was so hurtful to us, et cetera. I think we can we can patch things up a little bit more and and hopefully come to like greater understanding. Anyway, I'm <laughs> done no, on my rant, but I feel um, like, I, feel but like, I, and I it, think canceling yeah. people can sometimes cause like walls to be built up and anger to be built up rather than us all joining together in, in the way that I think and, and would hope we want to be joined. Yeah, I agree. And it's a two-way street because to me, I was angry at Drew Brees. Like I was, his comments were a disgrace. Like it were, I mean, it, it was highly offensive, but after, you know, you calm down, take a chill pill. I know um, what's I'm trying to think Malcolm Jenkins, like he was clearly upset. I echo mm-hmm. his anger. Strongly, but he calmed down, and ultimately, you know, we've seen some of his teammates for, forgive him because they know what type of guy Drew Brees is. I think the issue is when you are blind to the issue of why why Kaepernick was kneeling. He clearly said it, and it's been clear why he knelt in the first place. It was a Green Beret who's been on the media rounds this week, clearly stating for him to do that. Um, 
That was not Kaepernick's idea. That was a Green Beret that, that told him, hey, take a knee. It's more respectful. You can respectfully protest the flag while you know, increasing attention to your cause without disrespecting the country. And he has been doing that. And people are just blind to that fact, not to mention why he's protesting in the first place. Um, at the same time, I think there needs to be, in terms of my, I guess, I don't want to say side here, but I guess the ideals that I represent of always explaining why Kaepernick is kneeling, that's been my issue with, with Kaepernick, is how he's been silent after his playing career and how, you know, we need him to do interviews and not with the media, but with YouTube. I mean, we've had all kinds of weird people on YouTube. He can have a YouTube channel himself. It's not hard. Like he can have all the Insta, you know, all the YouTube followers he wants to, you know, get his message out there a hundred percent. And we don't need silence. We don't just, I, I just didn't like the way personally he was moving in terms from a behind the scenes matter. That's not good enough. Um, the way this country is. We need strong voices. And like we've seen from Killer Mike, from all assets, his music, his activism, him appearing on shows, it is a full front. It's not the time to be um, silent and just act in just one way. We're just money. It's not. I know some people think, oh, he's donating a bunch of money. That's enough. It's not. <laughs> it's clearly, it clearly isn't because you have Drew Brees that is a smart man, I think. He's a very intelligent individual. That is highly ignorant. And I don't think he's racist. I really don't. But clearly, I think if he had Colin Kaepernick, hey, sit him down, even you know, six, you know, four years ago, because Drew Brees had this position four years ago. It was the same what back then as it was a few days ago. And it's having not only Kaepernick, but other players that felt the same way sit down and explain clearly why this is happening. I, I think would get him to understand, hey, you know what? I understand why he's doing this. He's not just disrespecting the flag. This is not some publicity stunt. You know, himself and his community are in pain right now. I need to really be empathetic and understand what the hell is going on here. Um, so I don't know. I think both sides, I think certainly there is room for always to have open dialogue. But you're right, Matt. Just screaming and shouting is having hard animosity towards one person is not going to solve anything because it's hard i had it too i was i was i was i was mad <laughs> like I, i'll admit it i wanted to cancel sure. drew Brees, but i think you you have to think rationally and i think the only way to i think fight this racial injustice problem is to have open dialogue and to really discuss okay why why does drew Brees feel that way in terms of his you know his ancestors that fought and World War II and fought for the flag, understood. But, you know, my ancestors fought for World War II as well, and they came back to Jim Crow, and they weren't afforded the opportunities of the GI Bill, and we weren't afforded the privileges of living in this country 100%. So that that's where the exchange of ideas needs to come from, and I agree with you, Matt. Just labeling him as this bad guy or this terrible person is not going to get us anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think overall, you know, you you attract more bees with honey than yeah. than with venom. And and sure. I think uh, you know, there there is always going to be a level of evil in modern society. And and we just always hope, of course, that that is the bare minimum and that we can work towards eliminating that. And I think a lot of that comes through more education, more open worldview, more uh, uh, 
um, seeing the world, seeing the rest of the country, interacting with other people. And I think, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that social media can lend us to the opposite way where we, we follow who we want to follow. We follow viewpoints we want to follow only. And if we get in these echo chambers, and I, I'm not talking about any side specifically, I'm talking about just everything. If, if we're only exposed to one thing, I think it's difficult to make progress. And, and so, you know, we're, we're kind of going in circles here a little bit. This no. is a broad topic. Um, it is. But I'm I glad think we're it's talking important. about it. Yeah. And, and I just think that, um, you know, I, I would like to see, as, as we've been saying, more open discussion and discussion, not only around differences in life experiences. I mean, because let's, let's take, for example, I mean, I'll, I'll just be very open and honest. You're you're one of my best friends, and I, I think I have questions for you off the air, you know, about about your own life experiences so that I can understand sure. how they differ from mine and, and things like that. And I think that, I mean, friends should do that, certainly, for one thing, if, if you feel comfortable doing that. And I think complete strangers should be understanding and, and go into those types of conversations as well before we jump down each other's throats. And, and of course, there is evil that we can recognize, no doubt, and that I, I would hope, and I do think, maybe with rose-colored glasses, that the majority, the, the vast majority of Americans are opposed to that evil and, and feel it needs to be eradicated. Um, but again, I, I just, uh, I guess my thing would be open discussion and and talk around solutions moving forward from learning from each other's experiences. How do we make this, this world, this country and this world a better place? Yeah, I feel you, Matt. And, and hopefully, you know, this is not a topic that's going to be over in just a day. This yeah. is always going to be a recurring issue. This is not the last time we'll be talking about this. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to discuss this. Um, did you have any other thoughts before we move on to our um, documentary review? Yeah, I think we can uh, go ahead and lighten the mood if you're ready. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so the NBA season, we still have to what, July 22nd until the, the season kicks off. So we still don't have any basketball. So it's it's our pleasure to bring you our reviews of basketball uh, basketball documentaries, excuse me, that you should check out. Um, and this is one of them. It's called Requiem of a big east it is on espn plus so you do need a espn plus subscription to see it um but so basically if you're ever wondering about i would say the history of this conferences in college basketball and how they work and how coaches work within a conference this is perfect for you because before watching this documentary i didn't really know how how the coaches work together in a conference right i thought thought coaches operating in a silo like hey i play this school two times a year i hate this coach because i'm playing him <laughs> and then it's over uh, but no they're 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 co-workers like they you have to work with them even though you might hate their guts while playing against them you're your partners in making sure your conference is elevated so this was a really fascinating story. For those of you who don't know, that the Big East in college basketball, I would say, was one of the power conferences in NCAA men's college basketball. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to just going through my mind here. They were probably the biggest, um, especially through my lifetime growing up. Just in particular. Yeah, I think you had yeah. like the Pac-10 in the sure, 70s was, with UCLA. Yes, absolutely. Kind of transitioned into this conference being formed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sorry um, to cut you off there. No, no, it's all good. It's just I just remember, you know, Georgetown was a member of this conference, and I think still mm-hmm. is. Um, mm-hmm. And just especially, you know, remember Allen Iverson coming to town. He had John Thompson. Like that was a big deal. Them playing the Lobos, right? Here's the fame Georgetown, and here comes their star player Allen Iverson and their coach. This felt like we were playing like the super team. Um, so from an early age, I recognized the the power of the Big East. In this documentary, they go through the formation of the conference. They go through who was responsible for the conference. They kind of have a last dance kind of feel to it where they link to a present event at the time of filming to the history of the conference. So we would have to go through all the notes because I want you guys to see the documentary. But it has interviews from um, Jim Beheim, has interviews from John Thompson, interviews from the rest of the coaches in the conference, players, which I found the most, I think, um, fascinating. Chris Mullen, um, Earl of Pearl Washington. That's Kenny, the Jet Smith's favorite player. That's all I hear about from him. <laughs> Who's his favorite player? Oh, it's Earl of Pearl Washington. So in this documentary, you get to see why Kenny Smith worships the ground this guy walks on so much. Um, so that was cool to see. And just really, it was fascinating just to see really the rise of this conference. Um, I want to get your thoughts, but one thing I do want to point out overall, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't get the sense of a women's basketball perspective in this. And right. I just wanted to see, you know, just, and I'll just double check this because I might be wrong here, but UConn, um, was a, a member of this, you know, of this conference here. And, you know, they have such a legendary, you know, basketball program with their women and not to see, I mean, they joined the, the big, the new big East, um, I'm just, just kind of wondering why there wasn't a mention of women's college basketball a little bit more. Um, I was just kind of curious. And it, it was it was original members of the Big East uh, for its first 34 years. So I was just wondering why the, the women's team wasn't mentioned at all. They mentioned football. So why not the women's basketball team? Yeah, I mean, my guess would be um, interest of the fans at that time. And there was there was no professional outlet afterwards. Uh, obviously, you didn't have the WNBA back in the 80s. Sure. Um, I believe that got started in the mid to late 90s, if, if I'm not mistaken there. Um, so that, that would be my guess, is that there, there just wasn't interest in, in that they weren't being broadcast. Um, so, yeah, yeah, they're definitely... I mean, I think we could have used... Maybe an interview or two from Gino Ariema, certainly yes. from uh, from UConn. I think, uh, you know, I'm fairly certain there's been a documentary made about Pat Summit and Gino Ariema. Of course. Um, yeah. So, so you do have some of the perspective from that, uh, which I get. But, but you're right. I mean, there there was no discussion of that. It was really kind of the um, almost like religious feeling towards Big East basketball of the 80s, uh, and then the kind of sin of selling out for college football. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, what are your overall thoughts? Do you think this was a engaging documentary to watch? Was it um, interesting, or were you kind of bored? I'll admit there are some parts that I was kind of losing interest. This is my second time watching this documentary. Um, for some reason, when I watched it the first time, it hit me closer to my heart compared to now and i was just wondering like why did i like this documentary so much the first time i watched it um i recommend still seeing it because for fans that are not hip to why college basketball was a big deal pretty much before i would say i don't know 2010 
in particular mm-hmm. uh, with power teams. Like this is kind of one of the genesis is why, along with what you're saying, Matt, with UCLA and the Pac-10. But I, I think this is a must-see documentary for those who are trying to get more um, info in college basketball because it seemed cool and it seemed fun to watch. Like it seemed like it's a bummer now. It's one of the things that I wish I was born in that time period period as a basketball fan because it seems like you just saw way cooler players and just more competitive games just seem bigger as compared to now where it's the school that you're watching and not particularly the players. Yeah, and and I'd also add the coaches are, are sure. kind of the stars of college basketball, and that makes sense because they're the, the kind of continuing presence from year to year now that a lot of times we don't have four-year players in, in many schools, uh, and the schools usually with the four-year players aren't going very far, having much success in the tournament as compared to teams from this era of the the 70s 80s and 90s uh i i will say uh i have to note that i loved this idea of kind of this mob family coming together to form <laughs> right. this league it's, it's one of probably one of my favorite elements of this this documentary is hearing as as you're saying how connected the coaches are and hearing these coaches interact and, and talk about each other and kind of each each other's personality. You have the, um, I, I won't give away the full thing, but there's a sweater incident that's amazing between two of the right. coaches. And you see a lot of this development of showmanship in college sports. And I, I think this era of, of play in, in any sport deserves a lot of credit for making college sports seem more like professional sports. Cause you see how these coaches start to act once they're on camera, once they know they are on a national broadcast, which by the way, this story of Requiem for the Big East ties in deeply into the roots of ESPN's development as it does. the national sports network um, because they gave ESPN a lot of a lot of airtime, a lot of content to fill their airwaves with. So it's it's awesome to see uh, for myself, you know, one of the things and, and maybe this is this is just me speaking, but I didn't really I, I never so I've been in basketball since basketball fans since I was maybe five years old, I can remember, uh, really enjoying watching basketball, even though I didn't fully understand it at that time. Um, and I never really understood what the big deal was with St. John's and Me why, because I had never seen that school have any type of success. Agreed. So it's it's kind of cool to see um, see the reason why, um, at least from the, the 80s, their resurgence. I think they had a period of success before that as well. But that ties into this this whole, you know, there's like the famous New York point guards are are what you want. Um, and that's that's what teams are looking for in the NBA. You want a New York point guard. That, that always used to be the thing, at least from back in the 90s. Uh, like New York is just uh, a factory for stellar point guards. Um, and so I think you see some of that tie in here. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, overall, a great documentary. I do think there are there are times where. It can lag a little bit talking about media production, but it also is kind of the charm of the documentary. Like, again, tying in with with ESPN, you know, this Big East League had to control their own broadcast. 
And these guys just openly admit, like, we didn't have any idea what we were doing. We didn't know how to broadcast games. We basically, it was basically on the job training. And all of a sudden they are <laughs> forming the most successful basketball network. And it doesn't take long before the Big East wins a national title. And that was pretty astonishing to see because I, I couldn't imagine like today, like to, let's say around the time the Mountain West was formed, which, you know, was a long time ago now looking back from 2020, but happened just a few years after my family had moved to New Mexico was when the Mountain West was formed. I mean, can you imagine if that league is formed and then four years in, <laughs> you're winning a right. national championship? Uh, pretty, pretty surreal. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'll give my rating real quick. I, I give it a B. Um, it's tough because that's the same rating I gave the last dance. I just think it's I Matt I I feel like I'm an island on this. I feel like I'm the only person that like slightly liked it because I was I was I was talking to my coworkers. They all loved it. They watched it because they have nothing else to watch. So I feel like I'm on an island on my grading scale on these documentaries. But I give this one and the Last Dance the same grade. Um, I I think with this one, what I appreciated was the link to New York basketball and in particular like its players like Chris Mullen and Earl of Pearl Washington and so many other players too that are linked in that region because especially basketball and pickup ball in particular like I've always been fascinated with that in terms of another aspect of of the sport besides professionally and besides in college um, there's another subset of how the game works. So I like that. I liked all the coaches. I love the rivalries. I felt like it dragged in some parts. Mm -hmm. I felt some of the football parts. I understand why I was in there, but it wasn't necessarily compelling to me. I would recommend watching this, especially for those who don't understand why college basketball is a big deal. Why, like, if you're just an NBA fan, what what was the big fuss about basketball, college basketball in the nineties? Who cares? Like I would I would say this would this would pretty much get your interest in, you know, discovering more not only about this, but like the Fab Five documentary. There's some others that are on ESPN plus and other platforms. So I give it a B. How about yourself? Uh, I'm gonna go with you and, and match that. I certainly I enjoyed this documentary. Um Oddly enough, you know, this might not be interesting to the listeners, but first time I tried to watch this, I caught about half of the documentary because I was watching it on Netflix. And then the next day I came back to finish the documentary and it had been pulled from the Netflix library. So I remember that. So I just didn't <laughs> notice that it was pulled. Yeah. So um, so when you brought this up as a suggestion, as something for us to cover and review, I was excited to finally get to get to finish it. Um, so my grade for Last Dance, of course, you can go back and hear it, but I think I gave Last Dance an A minus. Um, I like that Last Dance is is a little bit more raw feeling. Sure. Uh, I feel like this documentary could have had a little bit more of that, especially between uh, the rivalries from Georgetown and Syracuse. They did discuss, you know, some of the unfortunate. Uh, in many cases, racist heckling of Patrick Ewing. Um, and, yes. and they did cover some of the ugly elements of the the fans at that time and, and just the environments of these arenas, which you and I have seen some ugly stuff, even, even at the pit. Um, I, I wouldn't say as ugly as what we saw in, in this documentary, but, um, but nonetheless, I mean, it, it shows how, 
passionate and maybe misplaced passion um, college sports fans can be. And, and sometimes that's a horrible thing. Um, but I think, I think they could have expanded on that and um, dug in a little bit more underneath the, the superficial elements of this. But I think you also have to appreciate that, you know, this was, I believe an hour and 40 minutes of content compared to, you know, the last dance, which is a 10 part series. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'll give it a B and it's, you know, part of the reason too, is that it, it makes me sad that we don't have the big East as, as it was back then. And I think since this documentary is released, um, you know, they kind of make Syracuse look like a villain for going to the ACC, which you understand from, Looks like we lost Matt. We're going to try to get him back and conclude the show. Hang on one sec. Looks like we lost Matt, but we uh, got him back. Just the uh, Skype uh, gods uh, betrayed us in that instant. But uh, <laughs> finish your point real quick. Yeah, so I think what I had been saying is basically that uh, the movie made me a little bit sad, longing for the return to college basketball the way it was before the conferences got reshifted uh, with that big deal that happened that was a part of Syracuse going to the ACC. So I think uh, the documentary kind of gave me that nostalgia for college basketball being my favorite college sport and how good that run was and um, how I, I just kind of wish that you know, money hadn't impacted college sports to that level uh, and that it mattered so much that these clearly basketball conferences like the Big East were tied to football conferences. And I think that's about all I had on on that documentary, along with the other stuff we already discussed. Gotcha. Then we'll wrap up our show. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, stay tuned for an interview with Mikey Hels- Hellum. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm trying to get his name correctly. Uh, Mikey Hellum. He is a graphic designer on Instagram and we'll put the link in the description. Basically he does designs of NBA jerseys um, linked to pop culture. So he recently did a run on Marvel superheroes and now he's doing a link between the NBA and Disney. So find out how he started graphic design, his love for the NBA and some other questions, really a great interview. So uh, stay tuned for that. Again, leave us a rating on iTunes, email us, please triple double podcast at gmail.com. And of course you can catch us on all your um, podcast streaming platforms. So for Matt Thomas, um, I'm Justin Goodrum. We'll see you next time. Peace. Okay, now we have the pleasure in welcoming our next guest. He is a Instagram graphic designer. Um, if you're on Instagram, I'm positive you've seen um, this guy's work. He's incredible. Um, he's known for his NBA designs, most recently doing a mashup between NBA jerseys and um, your favorite superheroes from um, pretty much the Avengers um, to pretty much anybody else you're into in terms of the comic book world. We have the pleasure in welcoming uh, Mikey um, Helsum um, onto the podcast. He goes also by um, S Relics on Instagram as well. Um, thanks for joining us, Mikey. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, Mikey, let's get into it. And um, why don't you just go over how did you begin your um, graphic design career? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So, you know, one thing I want to start off with is I'm actually only 17 years old. So I started graphic designing pretty early, like about four years ago when I was about 12 or 13. So the way I kind of started was I had this uh, gaming YouTube channel 
and I needed to learn how to create channel art, you know, like um, the YouTube banner, a logo, thumbnails, all that stuff. So, you know, I opened Photoshop on my computer, <clears throat> started learning how to do all that stuff. And then, you know, eventually I, I quit doing YouTube and then I started transitioning into more of the NBA design sector. So I started creating sports designs and then, you know, it transformed into creating jersey designs. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Gotcha. And what was your kind of getting a little bit geeky here, but what was your experience with Photoshop and kind of that world? Because I have have a little bit of experience in Photoshop, but I, it boggles my mind and I have difficulty uh, mastering it. I know it's a tough program. So did you have like extensive Photoshop experience before? Oh, well, actually, you know, when I first touched Photoshop, I didn't have any experience at all. I was just basically starting fresh. I kind of had to learn everything from scratch you know and to be honest with you most of my learning came from experimentation and just trying things out myself obviously if i wanted to learn how to do something specific like use a tool i would go on youtube and watch some tutorials but you know i kind of started off just like the position that a lot of you guys are probably in you know maybe you haven't touched photoshop at all that's what i was at Gotcha. And um, one more before I let Matt uh, take it over here. Um, when did you first catch your your work catching the attention of media outlets and celebrities? I know recently Ryan Reynolds tweeted out some of your stuff. Uh, when did you first oh, yeah. um, notice that your work was picking up steam on Instagram? Yeah. So, you know, I've pretty much had like two big phases of when that's happened. Obviously, my most recent uh, phase was when I finished my superhero jerseys but even before that now this was the summer of 2018 and if you haven't already seen it already basically in the summer of 2018 I redesigned every single NBA jersey incorporating a bunch of throwback sort of themes and also some modern twists of my own so during the summer my jerseys gained the attention from a lot of media outlets like uh, the score you know um there were a lot of other places like Hot New Hip Hop Now. That's when I first started seeing my stuff being published online. And that's when I can say I pretty much blew up. Because at the start of that summer, I was at about like 10,000 followers. And by the end of that summer, I was at about 35,000. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So is that is that kind of the moment when you decided you're going to be focusing more on NBA with those releases? Or had you kind of already decided on that beforehand? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, the thing is, I've always been doing NBA designs for a while. Just I haven't really focused on the jersey designs, right? So I would be doing a lot of individual player artwork, like a Kevin Durant poster, for example, or a Steph Curry poster, stuff like that. But when I realized that those jersey designs were what people wanted to see, you know, I took that opportunity and I, I told myself, I was like, you know, I should do more of these. And that's kind of what sparked my interest in creating more of these NBA jersey designs. Oh, man, that's so cool. I mean, yeah, watching the video that you had posted uh, on your website of, of those 2018, 2019 jersey redesigns, I mean, there's so much in there, like you mentioned, with the, the throwback themes and, and things like that, that you kind of put a sweet modern yep. twist on those that I yeah. just really like blew up in my mind. And, and just, uh, I was like a rush <laughs> of nostalgia, but then the, 
the awesome element of of the modern like kind of sleek look that you put on them i mean it's great i can't i i have no talent in art <laughs> in general uh, just not not a skill i have i i draw stick figures but uh it's it's really I mean, hey, me too man. man i draw stick figures too <laughs> <laughs> sweet yeah I, um i appreciate that so i mean so it it seems like it'd be a really interesting business um prospect to to be like a freelance graphic designer such as yourself mm -hmm. so do you do you mostly work off of like referrals and and like dms and those kinds of things i mean how can people get in touch with you if if they want to do work with you or, or hire you for work yeah that's a good question so you know there's a lot of various places where people can contact me at like Usually it's through DMs because that's the easiest way for a lot of people. But also on my website, I have this inquiry form where you can tell me a little bit about the project that you're looking for, you know, um, basically describing it. And then I'll email you back with like a quote on how much this project is going to cost. So whether it's through email or DM, you know, I'm, I'm always checking those two places. That's awesome. So what are, I mean, like if, if you had to pick, let's say, I mean, what are your, your favorite types of projects to design? I mean, do you like more the Jersey, the Jersey specialization, or do you like some of the like poster artwork that I've seen on your portfolio? What, what are your personal favorite things to do? Right, right. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of different things that I design for people, but definitely my favorite ones are the Jersey designs and also apparel design. So we're talking like hoodies, t-shirts, crew necks, that type of stuff, because I actually do a lot of those clothing designs as well. And they're really fun to do because it gives me a lot of creative freedom on the colors I want to use, the patterns I want to use, that type of stuff. So if I were to say, you know, what was my favorite thing to design, it's definitely the jerseys and the clothing. So, Mikey, I want to ask you, with the NBA, they're known for refreshing their jerseys probably more than any other sport. Um, oh yeah, definitely. we've seen the, the Christmas Day jerseys, kind of their other throwback jerseys. You're, I mean, I'm not just trying to kiss up to you. I think your designs are way better. I think they're way more imaginative <laughs> and just creative. Yeah, I really appreciate um, that. So I'm wondering, what's your opinion of it, and do you think there's like a disconnect in terms of how the NBA approaches, you know, a younger demographic? Um, I know that the NBA is known for being, you know, on the cutting edge of what kind of right. the 18 to 34 demographic is. But yet when it's kind of see their jerseys, a lot of them are disappointing. But yet you're able to create these jerseys, you know, online. Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy for them. To, I would say if I was working in the NBA to hire you instantly. Um, kind of, so what's your opinion? Do you, what's your opinion of what what they're doing in terms of their jerseys, improvements, uh, many other opinions you may have? That's a really great question. So. You know, I'm not going to say that I don't like a lot of the jerseys that the NBA is already using because there's definitely a lot of, especially like the city edition jerseys for every team that, you know, the designs are amazing. But I feel like the biggest disconnect between the NBA and its fans is that, you know, they're not really giving fans the opportunity to suggest what they want to see. Obviously, the fans are going to be the ones watching all the games. They're going to be seeing all the jerseys, buying the jerseys online. But the problem is the difference between the jerseys I make and the ones that the NBA makes is that I always, I always ask my fans, you know, what do you guys want to see? I always ask them for suggestions. You know, they're always DMing me. 
suggesting, oh, you know, this might be cool. You should try this and this. And I kind of like combine a lot of my fans' ideas together because you actually find that a lot of them overlap. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of people want to see the same type of things and the NBA is just not listening to them. And coming from somebody that's, you know, obviously I'm 17 years old and I'm seeing what my friends want, you know, what the younger demographic wants, it's easier for me to connect with them than say the NBA. So I think it's just the way that I'm able to connect with my fans and my community and bring those ideas to life in my jerseys. Um, I have a follow-up. Do you think in overall um, the NBA itself, do you think that's a problem that surfaces over to the actual product of the NBA as you as a fan, or do you think it's more with fashion in terms of them not listening to their fans? Hmm, that's a loaded, that's a loaded question. You know, I would say it's 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 mostly on the fashion side of things. I mean, obviously the NBA does a great job of keeping their fans happy and giving them what they want, but sometimes when it comes to just something as simple as jersey design, like that's something where you really have to be able to connect with the fans and something that small, you know, I I I'd say it would be pretty easy, you know, maybe have like a contest where fans can enter jersey designs and maybe one of them can be used for like the next season. Even something like that would provide them a better opportunity to connect in the fashion department. Mm. So Mikey, um, just to get to know a little bit more about you as a basketball fan, I mean, for one, is is the NBA your favorite sport? Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Awesome. And do you have like a favorite team that you follow, cheer for? Yeah. So my favorite teams are the Golden State Warriors and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. Got you. Cool. Cool. Um, so how have you been, I mean, following the NBA your whole life? Is, is it like a more recent thing that you've gotten into the NBA? Like, has that aligned with your graphic design or um, when did you start yeah, following I'm- the NBA? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, growing up, I was actually born in San Francisco, so I grew up in the Bay Area. I was exposed to basketball at an early age. You know, I still I still have videos of me dunking on my little mini hoop at my house <laughs> when I was like two or three years old. So basketball has always been something that I've kept close to me pretty much my whole life. And, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I moved down here to Seattle. Obviously, we don't have a team anymore, which kind of sucks. You know, hopefully in the next few years we get our Sonics back, that would be amazing. But oh, I'd love I've had a that. connection with basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I'd say I've, I've had a connection with basketball and the NBA for a long time now. It's, it's, it was one of the first things that I really remember being interested in. Gotcha. Um, I wanted to also ask you, you know, that the NBA is thinking about, you know, resuming play and getting things back um, up to speed. Oh, yeah. Um, did you have any ideas of any kind of radical things you wanted to see? I know talked about maybe like a World Cup tournament or the top 16 seats regarding of conference. Um, anything that you right. thought the NBA would kind of capitalize on? since it's kind of like a free for all this season. Yeah, actually, you know, I was really hoping to see them implement a thing where it's the top 16 regardless of the conference. I feel like that's something that everybody's been interested in for a while. And obviously there's debates on, you know, Eastern Conference versus Western Conference, which one is stronger, which one is easier to make to the top eight in. 
And I feel like with everything going on right now, the NBA could just use this as an opportunity to try this new system out. So that would be really cool to see. Gotcha. And then I guess got a final question for you. Um, what do you say to aspiring graphic designers that see your work and that they want to get into it, but they don't know how they, they seem kind of overwhelmed. They seem a little bit intimidated by kind of the, the work that goes involved. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, you know, there's a lot of younger graphic designers out there, including myself that are just starting out. And this is the advice that I would have told myself four years ago. And it's just to, not be afraid to kind of step out of your comfort zone and try new things out and to not get kind of like stuck in this bubble where you're only doing the basic things that you feel comfortable doing. The thing is four years ago, if you told me that like, you know, Hey, you want to try doing these Jersey designs, you know, I'm not, I wasn't that creative of a person. I've never been super creative, but as I started kind of exploring new ideas and trying new things out, that's when I realized I was like, I can do a lot more than I think I can do. So I guess my number one bit of advice is just to try new things. And that in my opinion, like the best learning comes from when you're doing things yourself, you're trying new things yourself. And I would say that over the course of the last few years, the reason why I've been able to improve so much in graphic design is because of trying new things out and not like watching tutorials on YouTube or trying to copy other people. I think it's just the originality factor and just, trying things yourself is what I'd say you guys should do if you're interested in graphic design. Gotcha. Well, Mikey, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Do you have any plugs, any upcoming projects or where fans can find you on Instagram, Twitter, and any other social media platform? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, once again, thank you you guys for letting me hop on the podcast. I really appreciate this opportunity. And so if you guys are um, following my Instagram page, or if you're not, you know, make sure to do that. Currently, I'm designing a bunch of NBA and Disney jerseys. And I started doing this before the whole move to Disney World was confirmed. I was like, you know, this is a, a rumor that has a good chance of coming true. So let's hop on it. Turns out nice. it's true. Yeah. So you guys should definitely check out my Instagram for these Disney jersey concepts. I've only made about seven or eight so far. And I'm planning on making all 30 teams. So this is, I'd say, the next chapter after my superhero jerseys. Gotcha. Well, we are appreciative of your work. Please follow Mikey on Instagram. He does fantastic work. I I bet my future house that in years you're going to see a lot more of this guy to come um, in a, a lot more of a, uh, you know, television in terms of his designs being featured everywhere. Um, I really have faith yeah. in that. Thanks, Mikey, again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah, you, thank Mikey. You so Wise and talented beyond his years. Right. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate it, Mikey. Thank you. All right. Thank you. See you guys later.